To begin this message, let's try a brief fill-in-the-blank quiz from the very first chapter of the Bible. Verses 26 and 27 of Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, let blank make mankind in blank image. And just read through that silently here at home and see how well you do on the fill in the blanks. Five, four, three, two, one. And the answers are, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image and the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. What's different about the pronouns in the two verses? The plural us and our and our from verse 26 tells us that in a very real way, God is more than one. And the singular his and he and he from verse 27 tells us that our God is one. The Old Testament Israelites did not have the language of Trinity that we do today. In fact, the word Trinity appears nowhere in the Bible, not even in the New Testament. But from the beginning, God's people would have said that they worshiped one God, but that their one God was in some mysterious way more than one. And throughout the Old Testament, God continues to reveal more of who he is to and through his people. At different times in the New Testament, Jesus alludes to both the Father and the Holy Spirit, and he names each person of the Trinity in the Great Commission, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So Matthew gives us more information about the nature of God than Moses did, but even with a complete Bible and all of the amazing Christian thinkers over the centuries, our finite minds will never fully grasp an infinite God. So we need to be more comfortable with mystery, understanding that some mysteries are not so much to be solved as they are to be celebrated and lived. For those who were here or watched online last week, Francis Chan reminded us the point is not to completely understand God, but to worship him. Let the very fact that you cannot know him fully lead you to praise him for his infiniteness and grandeur. Before we explore God the Son more specifically in week two of our Trinity series, let's think about our eternal God before he created anything. If our one God were not three persons, then it makes at least some sense that he would have created the universe out of boredom and shaped humans in his image because he was lonely. And then once he created us, he would have had to learn how to love us. However, because our one God is three persons in perfect fellowship, he was never bored or lonely. And each person of the Trinity always had two others to love. Therefore, rather than a random act out of boredom, the universe is the explosion of God's creative expression entering into time and space. And creates, he creates the first humans in his image not because he's lonely, 
but because he genuinely desires to, to share the perfect love in relationship with all of us that the three persons of the Trinity have enjoyed for all of eternity. When we look closely at God the Father through the lens of Jesus' parable about the prodigal son last week, we did not see a father who approved of the sins of either of his sons. But we did see a dad who loved them unconditionally in spite of their sins. Our triune God is omnipotent, all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing, omnipresent everywhere, all the time, and so much more. But at his very core, our triune God is love in perfect relationship, shared at great cost to himself with people like us. And what was that great cost? The life of Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity. And let's look at him more closely through Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. It's on page 951 of your pew Bibles. It will also be on the screen. And as some of you take a minute to find the passage, let me simply remind you that Paul loves the people in the church at Philippi. They've been very generous to him. And now from prison, Paul encourages them to be joyful, humble, and to have unity, reminding them that there is no better example than Jesus. So reading from Philippians 2. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave them name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of God. In his beautiful description of Christ, where does Paul begin? He says Jesus was in very nature God, not like God or mostly God or even used to be God before he chose to be human for a while. Jesus was and is very nature God. A few centuries after Paul wrote this, a man named Arius began teaching that God the Son came after God the Father. And he gained many followers, but that belief was challenged by many others, including a young scholar named Athanasius, who argued that within this father-son relationship, there was no age difference because both had existed for all of eternity. This debate sparked a meeting of church leaders in Nicaea in the early 300s, inspiring the Nicene Creed. Please read this excerpt with me. One Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father, 
Through him all things were made. We can check with Pastor Brandon later, but I believe it was also at Nicaea that our church forefathers declared in the fine print, this is kind of in the subtext, that all men who forget to do anything for Valentine's Day when it falls on a Sunday get an additional 48 hours of grace. (laughs) Pretty sure it's kind of in the subtext. We can look that up later. If the Nicene Creed lingo on the screen is hard for you to understand, you have lots of company, and I'm right there with you. But again, we need to remember that some mysteries of God need to be celebrated rather than solved. Remember how John starts his gospel? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Athanasius realized that the Word here is God the Son, Jesus himself, and he's not only with God in the beginning, but he is God. And if all things were made through him, then he could not have been made because he was and is eternal God himself. Still in ways that we cannot fully grasp, God the Son is begotten from God the Father, even though they have always existed in perfect relationship with each other. For humans, from has a time relationship. The one that is from comes after the source. But for infinite God, from is far more complex and somehow because God is God and we are not, has no time element. So they can be as no humans can ever be forever father and son. I used to teach this stuff to high school students. I loved it far more than most of them did. And my guess is that there are a few Calvin Christian Middle School and high school students here or watching at home who may not be enjoying their Bible classes or are wondering why they are important. After I would try to teach the Trinity to high school seniors, my students would often respond, so what? So then I started inviting the local Mormon missionaries to come to school And they would first highlight their doctrine of God, which includes the view of Christ taught by Arius long ago, that God the Son came after God the Father in history. But even with this fundamental difference, they would always assure us that they were fellow Christians because of our shared belief in Christ. In prepping my students for these visits, I would remind them of 1 Peter 3.15, but in your heart set about Christ as Lord, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. And I will always remember the student who raised his hand after their presentation, then very gently and respectfully said something like this to the Mormon missionary duo. You believe in a Christ who has a beginning. And I believe in a Christ who always was, one who has no beginning. Doesn't one of us have to be wrong? And with with such different perspectives, could the Christ you are worshiping and the one I am worshiping even be the same person? After a long pause, one of the missionaries nodded, then admitted, yes, one of us does have to be wrong. 
And the way he said it made me think that for the first time in a long time, maybe the first time ever, he was not sure that he was right. I'm not here this morning to trash talk the Mormon faith, but I am here to encourage you to learn as much as you can about who God is and follow God's leading in learning about other faiths, as well as how best to respond with gentleness and respect to people who believe differently than what the Bible teaches. And you don't need to go to a Christian school to do that. My grandpa Winkle knew his Bible better than I with my fuller theological seminary degree ever will. And he never went to any high school. When it says in verse seven that he made himself nothing, the Greek word behind it is kenosis, which means literally emptying. So some scholars have suggested that God the Son stopped being fully God while he was in human flesh that the emptying was of at least some of his divinity. But if God truly is the same yesterday, today, and forever, as the author of Hebrews tells us, then God the Son cannot stop being fully God. Scholar R.C. Sproul says that rather than Jesus losing any of his divinity, his godness, the emptying instead refers to some of his glory and some of his privileges that go along with being God. If Tom Brady ever comes to play in any annual Iverness Church Council versus youth group football game, the team he is not on could request that he wear army boots, a heavy backpack, throw left-handed, and he would still be Tom Brady, but temporarily without all the privileges of being Tom Brady. His team would probably still win if Chuck Norris comes instead. Army boots, heavy backpack, left-handed, blindfolded while holding a litter of kittens and writing a letter to his sick grandmother. His team would definitely still win and he would definitely still be Chuck Norris. In summary, Jesus never stopped being fully God though his earthly body meant that he gave up some glory and privilege. So God the Son is fully God, but is he fully human as well? Verses seven and eight tell us that he was made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. So does he only look like a human, only human in his external appearance? Well, no. Rather than telling the Philippian church members that Jesus was only appearing to be human, Paul was instead emphasizing that he was not walking around with a halo over his head or with perfect skin and shiny, wavy hair all the time. That he looked like a man because he was a man. Likely closer to five feet than six feet tall and nothing like Jim Caviezel or any of the ruggedly the other ruggedly handsome actors who have played Jesus in the movies. Jesus was conceived in Mary's womb, born in a stable, grew in wisdom and stature, Luke tells us. He got tired, hungry, and thirsty. He touched and was touched by lots of unlikely people while he got dirty, walking dusty roads. He welcomed children and all kinds of outcasts, and he wept when he was sad. And maybe the greatest evidence of his humanity is that he bled. The inventor of blood bled. 
And then he died an excruciating death. And when he was stabbed to prove that he was dead, blood and water flowed out exactly as expected from the lungs and heart of a human killed in such tortuous fashion. The Nicene Creed puts it this way, for us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. Jesus was in fact fully God and fully human, which was affirmed 125 years after the Council of Nicaea at the Council of Chalcedon, where church leaders stated in Latin that Jesus Christ was verus hummus verus deus, truly man, truly God. And why are both so important? Hebrews 2 verse 17 says, for this reason, Jesus had to be made like them, like us, fully human in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Since the fall, every human is conceived and born in sin, so we needed the perfection of God himself to be our perfect sacrifice. In his book, The Jesus I Never Knew, Philip Yancey writes, power, no matter how well-intentioned, tends to cause suffering. Love being vulnerable absorbs it. In a point of convergence on a hill called Calvary, God renounced the one for the sake of the other. And I love how Michael Reeves ties this into a sobering celebration of the Trinity. He writes, now if God were not triune, if there was no son, no lamb of God to die in our place, then we would have to atone for our sins ourselves. We would have to provide, for God could not. But hallelujah, God has a son and in his infinite kindness, he dies, paying the wages of sin for us. It is because God is triune that the cross is such good news. Yes, that is such good news, very good news for sinners like us sitting here or watching from home, that through Christ's perfect sacrifice, we can look forward to our eternal home. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. However, if the only reason God the Son came to earth was to offer himself as our perfect sacrifice, he could have shown up at age 33, got himself sentenced to death, paid our price, conquered death, and ascended to heaven the next day. And that still would have been very good news. So why did he live all of those 33 earthly years here, including the first nine months in Mary's womb? Maybe Jesus also wanted to show us how to live and to help us understand that eternal life is not something that happens only after we die. It's about a forever relationship that begins for all who believe in him here on this broken side of eternity. The life to the full that Jesus mentions in John 10 verse 10. So what does that life look like? One clue I think comes at the beginning of our text in Philippians 2. Verse five says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. As I hit the highlights of the next three verses, and you can read them on the screen. 
And those three verses precede three verses of exaltation that we don't have time uh, to do justice to this morning. Try to summarize what the mindset looks like in one word. Here's some highlights. God did not consider equality with him, with God as an advantage. Made himself nothing. Very nature of a servant. Humbled himself. Obedient to death in the most humiliating of settings. Nailed to a cross. A one word summary. And I'm guessing that most of you thought of humble or humility or servant or an idea like that. And that does not look much like life to the full, does it? But if we step back and ask, what motivates true humility? What does it take to put the interests of others consistently before my own as Jesus did? What is at the core of the nature of a servant? I believe the best answer to all of those questions is love. So on this Valentine's Day, that is my challenge for you and for me, as it was Paul's challenge for the Philippians, to love and serve our triune God, our families and friends, our neighbors, classmates, and coworkers, people we already know and people we don't, including those who are very difficult to love or serve. And if you find that at least somewhat difficult to do, here's some more good news. Jesus did not simply show us how to love and serve and promise that we would one day be exalted as he was exalted after conquering death for us. But he also promised that we would have help, supernatural help, to help us to be more like him. And that is my shameless setup for the third message in this series. Coming soon to a sanctuary or screen near you, God the Holy Spirit. To close this message though, I use these words from singer, songwriter, theologian, Carolyn Ahrens, who writes, we have a God who both transcends our messy lives and incarnates himself in them. That reality is hard to organize, but it's the best news there is. There's a story, often credited to E. Stanley Jones, about a missionary who gets lost in the jungle. He comes upon a village in the middle of the trees and asks a resident to lead him out. The local agrees, and for an hour, he walks ahead of the missionary, clearing away through the foliage with a machete. Eventually, the missionary asks, are you sure we are going the right way? Isn't there a path somewhere? The villager smiles, friend, I am the path. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus tells us. I am, declares Yahweh. My ideas about God are not the path. My church tradition, helpful as it is in pointing to him, is not the path. I plan to spend the rest of my life learning the best terminology we have for understanding of what God has done and is doing. But the terms are not the path. Only God is. Only he can lead me through the jungle that is my life and into the boundless adventure of life with him.
Let's pray. Triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for being here with us as we gather in your name in this sanctuary and in homes throughout this neighborhood and beyond. Thank you, Jesus, for being God incarnate, God in flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. And more and more, give us a sense of yourself as we live these sometimes difficult days here on the broken side of eternity. Thank you not only for your amazing sacrificial death that paid the sins, the penalty of sin for all of us, but also for your life, the life that you lived uh, among us uh, for a few decades. And Jesus, you continue uh, to live uh, and reign uh, over all of this creation, and we give you thanks and praise for that as well. Help us on this day, on this Valentine's Day, God, to love you with heart and soul and mind and strength and our neighbors as well. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.